Is he a great God? Is he a great God? If he's a God that's worthy to not be fronted on, why don't we big him up real quick? Yeah. If you've got a seat beside you, um, put your hands up, please, if you have an empty seat beside you. Got some over here. Um, there's no more room on the little risers over there. Um, any up in the balcony? Oh, one up in the balcony. A couple in the balcony. A couple in the balcony. So um, we got a couple up there. Um, fellas, don't let any ladies be standing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Amen. All right. All right. There's one over here. Two. All right. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, you, you have the name that is undubitably above every single name. Lord God, and we're passionate about being saturated with that name. Lord God, a name that's not worthy to be fronted on, it shouldn't be fronted on, it should be embraced. Um, There is no other name under heaven by which men can be copped and drafted on your eternal team. And so God, we pray in Christ's name that we would zoom in and continuously never get tired, but endure with this name. Um, endure with this reality, God, because we really, really, really want to see the global impact, the global impact of that name on the world. And, God, we want to be a part of that. We want to join you in your mission. We want to join you. We don't want to make up something and uh, throw it to you and ask you to bless it, but we want to join you in your vision. So, God, help that to be our steeds. Help the words of uh, my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord God, my strength and my redeeming, whom I trust. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Y'all all right? We've been, of course, going through Galatians. This is our what is it, third or fourth week, fourth week in Galatians. And um, we are, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited um, just about this opportunity um, because we talk a lot about, um, we talk a lot about uh, the gospel here. And a lot of people, sometimes it could, it could become one of those buzzwords that begin to kind of lose its savor, lose its influence, because it just becomes a cultural term. But hopefully, by God's grace, through our time, as we walk line by line through uh, Galatians and the like, that God will give us the grace to be able to chop it up in a beefy way in the scriptures, to be able to be properly engaged with the reality of the gospel. As we talked about last week, we talked about the fact that we're on a pioneering mission field. And we talked about in light of that, there being a pioneering mission field, a lot of people haven't grown, people are not growing up in the church like they used to. Like I, I grew up in the church. And so we, we can utilize Christian ease easily um, as common ground to be able to communicate God's truth. We're no longer on that type of mission field. We're on a mission field um, a brand making new mission field called North America and the world where there isn't that, that leveled ground that we usually had where you could throw salvation out and justification and sanctification and even the word Bible. Um, matter of fact, um, the name Jesus, and it be more than just uh, the dude that comes on during Easter time, Jesus of Nazareth joint, you know what I'm saying? But, and that's their only connection with Christ. And so there's a need for us to be faithful, to be faithful to proclaim the gospel in both life and lips. And we've gotten to a point now where we have to reintroduce our context to Jesus. We have to reintroduce people to the gospel. And we must be, we must be very careful in what we spit. We must be very careful in which we lay out. And so today I want to talk about getting the gospel right. Getting the gospel right. Um, I think, uh, of course, Galatians is written because there are a bunch of cats who have gone into um, the area called Galatia, which is a region rather than just a city, but a region, uh, a city itself and a city proper, um, by which um, some believers have come um, into faith in Jesus Christ. And so in light of them coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, some cats from Judah heard about it, and um, they, they wanted to roll down and try to add requirements to them. In other words, it's not by 
faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, but you gotta, we gotta add some more herbs and spices to your faith to make sure that you're able to recognize that, 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 um, it's not by that alone because people can take advantage of that. I remember talking to a J-Dub one time. And um, I was talking, we were talking about, you know, uh, faith and works and faith alone. And, um, you know, he said, you know, how can you say by grace alone? How can you say by grace alone? I mean, I mean, if you preach the grace that you just told me, people will take advantage of it. I said, that's not a new, like, question. Like, go over to Romans chapter 5, the latter part, and then Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Like, Took them over there. Well, I, I know, but you got to, I said, see, see, there are, there's a tendency for us to not accept a gift. There's a tendency for us to say, well, let me, let me, let me slide you some money. You know what I'm saying? Let me put this in your hand because I don't want to be in debt to you. And so in order to even up the odds so you won't call me to anything, because of this, I want to add something to it so that if you ever, if you ever require anything from, from me, I'll be able to say to you, oh, remember, I already gave you, like, so don't be, like, expecting anything now. And so, and so, and so here we, we dive into a passage where Paul is challenged. Paul is challenged. He's going in the spirit of Jesus at this point, like Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 3, um, verses uh, 13 to about the 16th verse where Jesus comes to John the Baptist, and he said, oh, what's up, the Lamb of God? And Jesus says, I'm ready to be baptized. John, John fell back and was like, yo, I don't, like, I'm feeling funny because I've been preaching you. Like, and I've been telling everybody else that you're supposed to be baptizing us. So I don't, I don't like, want to be baptizing you and mess up the whole message that I've been given. And Jesus calmed him. He says, he said, we're going to get to that. He says, but it is good to fulfill all forms of righteousness. In other words, I'm submitting myself, even though I'm God incarnate, I want to submit myself to God's human mechanisms to make sure that there is nothing that comes against the credibility of the ministry that he's called me to. And so right here, Paul is doing the same thing. You got Paul. I mean, Paul was Paul and Barnabas, they've been kicking it. Paul, Barnabas, uh, 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 John, Mark, Silas, uh, Titus. I mean, they had a, a, a slew of cats, a slew of heads who was commissioned by the Antioch church to go out and spit the gospel among the Gentiles. So there were issues that came up because the believers in Jerusalem fronted on the reality of the fact that the, that the, that the Gentiles were getting the gospel. And I think we're looking at that today because even in our society today, everybody wants to limit where and how um, this generation gets the gospel. Everybody wants to put added requirements on us. Well, you got to do this, and you have to do that, and you got to do this. If you don't do that, I don't believe you're a Christian. And it always has to do with external, not internal. You know, this weekend, man, uh, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I had to go preach. Um, Four times, you know, last weekend. And I did this weekend, and, and I, I went out to the Buck Hills of Pennsylvania. And, and you know, I, I was out there. I didn't know where I, like, I went out there, and they drove me from this. I didn't even know Elmira, New York had an airport. I flew into Elmira. They drove an hour back into PA. And, man, I'm looking around, and I don't see an African-American anywhere. So, um, and you know, you know, we multi-ethnic, so we just going to talk, but you know, I ain't trying to front, right? So I'm driving down and I'm like, dang, then they, then they take me down this hill. We go up this hill and then we go to this retreat center. And I'm looking around, man. They got a gun range out there joint. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking around like, oh, snap. Then, <laughs> Then, then I, I look around, man, and, and, and I say, yeah, man, um, we're, we, we, we have the biggest uh, rattlesnake roundup in the state. Rattlesnakes. Rattlesnakes. Then the dude say, oh, and then they co- the Pennsylvania cotton hit. I said, oh, what in the world is going on here right now? Then I get up in the joint, and it's all like factory working white brothers, man. And I'm looking. One dude said, how you doing, brother? And spit. I mean, I was like, what in the world? Like, and so, 
I'm walking around. One dude just hugs me, and I'm just, I'm saying, oh, thank you, Jesus. All right, brother. God. And I'm standing in there, and I'm, I'm looking around, and I get up to preach. I get up to preach, and, and I'm looking around the room. Matter of fact, I'm, I meant to put that picture. I took a picture of the thing because I didn't think y'all believe me. And I'm, and I'm here, and I begin to open up the scriptures and preach. And I was just like, Lord, what is an inner city African-American hood rat doing preaching to a bunch of white guys? And I thought about it, the gospel. Many of them profess racists. And I'm sitting in there rocked. But there was a unity of the scriptures. One, one old head, he's about this tall. He's always the first one there, first one leave. I mean, he's, that's all you can tell. He worked on his hands big as my head. And he came up after one of the, one of the meetings, and he's bawling. And he hugs me, and he says, brother, you really the fire in me that hasn't been lit in years. And when I thought about it, I said, man, if they allow a cat that was raised in the hip-hop generation to go among guys who were probably calling African-Americans the N-word and to be able to proclaim the gospel, said, this is a special gospel. And so Paul dives into giving an account of this gospel. In chapter 2, he says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. He says, I went up because of a revelation set before me, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Then he says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. I like this. I like this. This brings me to my first point. We must submit our understanding of the gospel to other disciples. We must submit our understanding of the gospel to other disciples. Paul, who has been preaching and has been seeing massive amounts of impact, who's received a a revelation uh, from the risen Christ himself, finds himself saying, yo, man, let's go up to Jerusalem and, like, lay the gospel out before those who went before us. And I'm, I'm rocked by this because I'm like, Paul just said, you know, I know I don't necessarily have to, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go up here um, to those who are influential and those who have been also been apostolically commissioned or sent by Jesus to proclaim the excellencies of his grace. I want you to stay with me because stuff like this tender, you can lose because you, when you, when you want to preach all of the Bible and not just stuff that, that has to do with you and your life, you kind of get lost in it. But I want you all to stay with, with, with these weird texts, so to speak. Because we need to make sure that we're zooming in on the importance of faithfully transmitting the gospel. And so we must be open to critique. One of the things that Paul did was he says, because of a revelation. In other words, we talked about last week, based on 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that Paul received multiple revelations. We saw in Acts chapter 9 that Paul was chilling in, uh, chilling in Ananias' crib after he had got converted. But before that, the Bible says he was at another cat's crib and he received a bunch of revelations. And this is important, and this is a mark in our history as Christians. Like we were talking about in the heritage of the gospel, it's very important that we know that we have substantial evidence for the fact that we have an authentic gospel. That's very important, and these are mile markers for us. And so he says, I wanted to submit my understanding of this. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 20 through verses 21, it says, it says, Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold to that which is good. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, These things I have written to you in order that you may not stray far from the things which are written. In other words, he allowed his gospel, what he called a revelation, to be submissive to others. We live in a society where everybody wants to be an authority in and of themselves. 
you know, I got a revelation from God. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, I hear you, critic. I see you sitting in front of your TV screen. But I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And don't want to be held accountable. That's all you're trying to do. I'm going to name some people today, too. I remember, I remember Kenneth Copeland talking about, I, I, was, I, was up in my, I was up in my house. I heard a voice call to me from my basement. I went down in the basement. I said, oh, Jesus, it's you. How you doing, Jesus? Have a seat. You want, baby, Jesus down here. Fix him some tea and some coffee. To have a seat on my couch, Jesus. What, how you been doing? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting up like, what is going on here right now? And people just like, nobody, I mean, people sitting there just chilling. Just chilling. He's talking about, he talked to Jesus. Jesus gave me some special revelation. Then he didn't open the Bible. He just began talking about Jesus and what Jesus explained to him. So everybody was supposed to listen. But he didn't come to anybody and say, yo, man, I saw, well, that could be kind of weird. Somebody come to me and say, Pastor Mason, Pastor Deuce, I want to sit down with you. I had a revelation of Jesus the other night. And in other words, but we live in a society where people want authority separated from authority. And we're, we're an authority-rejecting generation. We live, in a, we live in a times and a society where when you bring up authority, in other words, I, like I'll only submit to your authority if you'll only be a figurehead authority, not actually a practical authority. And see, Paul, I mean, Paul says, look, you know, I, I know that I, I got a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? I am going to submit my understanding of the gospel, um, the gospel that I've received, the gospel that I've been preaching to other people. And so when we say that we get a revelation, one of the things we talk about in, in um, covenant community is we talk about canonicity. And when we talk about canonicity in the Bible, stay with me. I know I say canonicity. Most of y'all say, huh? But um, <clears throat> canonicity is how we got the Bible in our hands. And we're very careful about this. We're very careful about it. And you need to hear it. We're very careful about what we say is the word of God and what we say is not the word of God. People always ask, what about the gospel of Barnabas? What about the gospel of Mary? What about Enoch? What about, what about, what about? And I'm saying there's certain, there's certain criteria that we like to lay out to make sure that something should be in the canon. Now, what's interesting about this passage is Paul submits himself to it, and what's, and what's dope is Peter later in 2 Peter chapter 3 says that Paul writes the scriptures, which should be given equality with the rest of them. But check it out. There's several, there are four criterion for authentic revelation. Number one, apostolicity. Apostolicity. Was the author an apostle or did he have a connection with an apostle? When we talk about revelation, when we talk about revelation, you must understand this. When people ask you about what, what makes Christian revelation revelation, well, these are some things that do that. In other words, when it, uh, uh, in connection with those who saw the resurrected Christ, acceptance, was the book or the revelation accepted by the church at large? That's why Paul makes his way down to make sure that he's in community. There it is again. With the community of the apostles. He wasn't one of the 12. He was the 13th apostle. And so because of that reality, he says, yo, I know that people hold the 12 in high regard. I know I don't have to go down there. But because of the, the, the principle of the unity of faith and the need to be in community with those who are proclaimers of God's truth, I'm going to submit myself. So acceptance, content. Did the book or revelation reflect consistency of doctrine with what has been accepted as orthodox teaching. In other, words, in other words, is that something God would say based on what God has already said? See, a lot of people want to get you under their authority and begin just prophesying. I remember um, somebody said to me, I, I may have told you all this story. Somebody, a friend of ours was on the phone with us, and, and they said, they said, um, they said um, you, you, you all, you, I, I feel it. God told me that... Um, 
you, you, you and your wife, you all need to be spraying in the Holy Ghost together. He told me that. And I said, no, nah, he didn't tell you that. He's like, huh? He's like, God didn't tell you that. He's like, I mean, why, why would you say that? I said, because what you're saying is not in the Bible. I said, I said your, your, your personal impressions and feelings and revelations of heart don't scare me. They don't scare me. Stare you in the face. Tell you God didn't tell you that. Everything got to be submitted to what has been said. In other words, it doesn't follow the character of what God would say. So therefore, I rebuke you in the name of the risen Christ. Shut down your revelation. And don't ever, don't you ever, don't you, don't you ever tell my wife anything about what, are you crazy? God didn't go through Sarah. He went through Abraham. She would dare come in my house talking about a rebel. Man, are you, man, look, where my, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I was, I was. I was, I was deeply, but, but, and then they fell back. They fell back. They didn't reintroduce their revelation. They fell back. You, you should, don't ever be scared of anybody who say God told them something to you. Don't you be afraid of it. If it ain't in the word, it don't need to be heard. Don't you be afraid. Women too. Don't you be afraid, ladies. God trying to give oversight. I'm over you. I'm your covering. You tell him, I got your covering. I got your covering. Amen. So there's an importance within us because we have to, and all of this points to the need to protect the reality of the gospel. But then he goes down, and I like this. He has a success story. He says, taking Titus along with me. Then he says, but even Titus. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> Paul lays out the credibility of his gospel. Now, I would have liked to have been there when Paul was telling Peter and them how he spit the gospel. I, I mean, oh, oh, man, I would have been there when it was the three pillars. Peter comes in the room. Uh, John comes in the room, James comes in the room, and Apostle Paul comes in the room, and they sit down and lay it out. Oh, my God, I wish I could have been there. Oh, my God, to just hear Paul laying out how he goes about his with spitting the gospel among the Gentiles. I can imagine Paul saying, you know, this is my normal order that I do. What I do is I usually go into a city. I kind of comb it out, but if if I kind of know it, what I do is the first place I go is I go to the synagogue. When I go to the synagogue, I spit to the Jews. Now, sometimes we develop a church core group out of those, and we spit the gospel to them. If they, if they don't, they may stone us or kick us out. Um, that's cool. Right after that, then what we do is we go, and we'll go down and go to the Gentiles, and we just hit the block. We just hit the block. After that, like if the, if the people who have received revelation from God rejects revelation, we dust our feet off, we dip, and we go to the Gentiles. Because we always want to go to the Jew first and then the Greek. But this is what I tell them. I lay out, boom, I lay out the fault. And it's like, boom, I lay, I, oh, my God, I wish I was there. But what's interesting is not only does he lay out a message, he brings a test subject, Titus. He, say, he says, Titus, come in. Don't worry about it. You ain't got to get circumcised. Um, you, 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 you're cool. I know Titus probably was shivering going up to Jerusalem. So he's like, man, why, Paul, why are you going to take me up there, man? I mean, they could say it from here. I'll write a letter. I'll write a letter, Paul. I mean, I mean, but man, you, I mean, I mean, I mean, you saw what happened to, to Abraham and his whole crew. They was wiped out for months because of being circumcised. We, all, we you know, you know, they use Flintstones. Oh, God, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And Paul said, come on, man. I ain't going to let you. Don't worry about getting circumcised. But if I told you to get circumcised, you're going to get circumcised anyway. So let's go on up here. So, so Titus steps in, and, and they present Titus as a test subject. Can you imagine the type of beefy disciple that Titus had to be in order to be presented to the apostles as a test subject of the fact that this is what the impact of the gospel has on a person apart from the law? He had to be a beast. 
Listen, y'all. That's what you have to be. Are you worthy to be a test subject of the impact of the gospel on your life? Is your life in Christ, your walk, lethal enough for somebody to say, come here, fam. Come here, fam. Let me let, me, let, me, let, me let you. Come here. Talk to him. I'm going to give me a cup of coffee. I'll be right back. Then somebody, you come back and tell them something. Hey, man, you, I don't know what you were doing with, um, with them, but um, I, I, don't, I don't think they're on point. No. <clears throat> we need to have a crew of people that are, that are able to fit the profile of a biblical disciple. And we're going to end this talking about how God keeps score. <clears throat> but I want you to, I'm, I'm telling you, I think that there needs to, every one of us needs to be accountable to being a disciple. All of us must be account like there's God didn't tell us to make believers. That's the spirit's responsibility. Our responsibility under the working of Christ's life through us is to make disciples. It's not enough that a hundred came to the altar. Oh man, there was a hundred of them up there. They was weeping, man. I mean, they was on their knees, they was laying out. That don't mean nothing. That don't mean nothing. That don't, that don't mean, Jack, I don't care how many people bum rush an altar. I want to check them out three months from the altar call. <clears throat> see, that's when the real deal happens. Like, oh, man, I don't know. They wild. And see, uh, see, no, nah, see, we, we, I remember, I remember when I first, when I trusted Christ, well, I trusted him once, not first, but trusted Jesus. <clears throat> and, man, they presented the gospel to me. And then they gave me a picture of somebody knocking on a door like this. <clears throat> November 15th, 1992, Eric uh, M. Mason has trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And then after that, they dipped. And I was like, well, like, I need some help. What? Then, the nation, then some dudes came up to me. Salam alaikum, my brother. How you doing, my brother? You know you a God, young man? Come and holler at me. So they took me under their wing. There needs to be Titus's, or Titus's and, uh, you know, Lady Titus's. <laughs> I was trying to figure out some Greek woman, female name, you know, but Titus's or something. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, ladies, I'm just messed up. But um, there needs to be, there needs to be, and we're going to, I don't care how mad you get at, we're going to continue to harp on it. We're going to continue to harp on people being test subjects for being able to show the credibility and reality of the gospel and its impact on his life. Titus was a counselor. He was so beefy. He became a counselor, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. He became a fundraiser and reliever of the poor, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Trustworthy and faithful disciple he's called in, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 18. Church planter and apostolic delegate, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, called his true son. We need to have biblical success stories. We, wanna, we don't want to just have transfer growth at Epiphany Fellowship. You don't like your church, so you come to Epiphany Fellowship. <laughs> like, that's not, that, like, we don't want, the, we don't really want all of that. Like, we want it if you feel like that, that's, not a, that's not a place where you can grow. That's, that's cool. But we really want to see brand spanking new people who trust Jesus as Savior come into the faith and God answer our numbers based on people who want to be disciples and developed. Because that makes for a healthy church. If you don't have disciples and disciples being made and people actually going from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, that is not a healthy church. It's not enough for us to come listen. It's not enough for us to say, oh, that was tight. That was burning. That's a beast. That was all. That don't mean nothing. Are you a beast? So we, we have to, we have to, and this is very important for us as for, for, because the reason why a lot of people reject Christianity a lot of times is because they don't see the impact on Christianity by people who call themselves Christians. And so there's a need for us. There has to, see, spiritual growth, spiritual growth in the life of a believer develops a culture for ministry. 
See, if you've got a bunch of people who don't live in light of spiritual growth and all of them are babies in Christ, then it's going to give a licentious ideal to what it means to be a Christian. However, if Christians are growing, if Christians are developing, and there's an expectation for you to get up off your behind, get in your Bible, get on your knees, get around the people of God, serve, develop, go out. If, if, if there are expectations, then what it develops is a culture where I can't come up in their plan. And so that's, that's, that's what we want to see God create among us here at Epiphany Fellowship. Second point, we must be faithful with the gospel in the midst of opposition. We must be faithful with the gospel in the midst of opposition. It says, yet because of false brothers, verse 4, <clears throat> brothers secretly brought in who slip in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. <clears throat> to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you. So what happened here is a lot of times in ministries, in, in the New Testament especially, you'll see it in 2 Peter chapter, I think it is the second, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. You'll see it in Acts 20. You'll see it in Jude. And in, in, in um, Acts chapter 20, you'll see Peter saying, and Paul uh, uh, talking about, remember when I was among you, exhorting you day and night, loving on y'all, and with tears, admonishing you about the truths and nutrition of the gospel. Remember that. But soon as I dip, there's going to rise up among you ravenous wolves who are not about the things of God. And they are gonna, they're not going to spare the flock. They're going to come in fleecing the flock. He says, but you elders... Leaders, remember my teaching. Remember what I told you, and don't you punk out. Stand up, get in their grill, and rebuke them. Get them out. Second Peter 2, he says, listen, there are some people that will come into the church that they were, they were predestined for destruction, but they're going to come in amidst the believers and try to pull us astray. Y'all focus on the gospel too much. Why y'all always focusing on the gospel? Y'all always focus on the gospel. Shut up. Listen, I don't want to create a, a demonic swagger and arrogance among us. I, hear me on that. I, I don't want us to have a prideful, oh, you know what I'm saying, we got the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't trying, like, I ain't trying, like, say something that's out of the Bible. Say something. Like, that's not what I'm trying to, like, that's not what I'm trying to. Uh, I hope that ain't what you're getting. I hope that ain't what you're getting. Man, we... I'm telling you, we need to jump him out of the church, man. He ain't, he ain't, I'm telling you, I'm walking the floor with mine, man. I'm walking the floor. Man, take him around the back uh, on 17th. I mean, no, that, that's, not, that's not what we're trying to promote. That's not what we're trying to promote. An arrogance and, and a T.I. T. swagger. A, a Lil Wayne swagger. Like, if, if you want swagger, go somewhere else. Jesus says, I am meek and lowly at heart. That don't mean he a punk. That don't mean he a punk. So, so, so let's, let's just keep that clear. However, there's a spirit and an attitude of correction and love that needs to go in the way that we relate the, the reality and nutrition of Scripture to people. And that means, like, like punking out looks like being faithful to tell someone they're not on point. That's, it lacks love if you don't. Like, if you're scared of confrontation, then you don't like Christianity. And Paul says, we didn't, we didn't submit to them for one moment. We let them know early. We cut them off while they were talking. He said, nah, none of that here, fam. I mean, ain't nobody getting circumcised. I'm already circumcised, all that. But, like, we ain't getting them circumcised. And, man, if they want to re eat some ribs and some, and some, and some, you know what I'm saying, some shrimp, you know what I'm saying, some, some salt and pepper prawns, uh, they, can, they can do that. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, grill, hey, matter of fact, I'm going to show you. Man, look, uh, hey, bro, um, hook me up some of them, um, some of the poor, uh, yeah, that one, yeah. I mean, Paul was not afraid. He wasn't a jerk. But he wasn't afraid to show people that weren't walking, he's going to talk about that later, about what it looks like to rebuke even the greatest among us. So we want to be, we want to be faithful <laughs> to this reality, but in order to rebuke someone, because he says, we didn't submit to them for a moment, 
they had to have a clarity of what the gospel's content was. One of the things that I get afraid of, if you ask someone, like I was talking to a guy, I said, man, you, you, I mean, he's trying to talk to me about the word. As I said, yo, man, um, just real quick, if I'm, if I'm an unbeliever, tell me how do I, and I said, how, do I must, be sa- how must I be saved? Like kind of walk me through, you know, how I would become a Christian, become in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and I just started listening, and it's like, well, yo, man, you know, I think, you know, you just need to pray, um, you know, and, you know, you need to read, you know, the Bible, um, <clears throat> you know, ask them to forgive you, you know, I think, you know, that that's, a, I said, ah, I was like, yeah, bro, we need to talk. Like, we, we got to be clear on the gospel, y'all, like, there needs to be a clarity on it. You should not, you shouldn't, like, say, talk to them. It needs to be, there needs to be a clarity within you that you may be able to give a reason for the hope that is within you. So every, every beefy disciple must have a clarity on the gospel because you can't defend what you're not clear on. Or you'll be tossed to and fro. You'll go from church to church. Oh, I like bishop so-and-so. Oh, I like apostle so-and-so. Oh, I like pastor so-and-so. And so you're just all over the place following every wind and doctrine. And so you're following personalities, but not following the scriptures, not following the scriptures. And so we want to, he wants, he wanted them to be faithful. So he says, we want clarity. We want to give, we want you to have clarity on it. Paul says in Colossians chapter four, he says, listen, pray that when God, that God will open a door for the word. And when God opens the door for the word, that I would make the gospel as clear as I ought to make it. Now, we're talking about an apostle who's asking for prayer to make sure that he makes the gospel clear to the people he's proclaiming to. And so if Paul needs clarity, if Paul needs development, how much more we do? You know, one of the guys I've been reading his life, I've been really interested in his life is a man by the name of Tom Skinner. And I've been real interested in his early years of ministry. One of the things that he says in one of his books the gospel in black and white, as he talks about doing some, those were the crusade days. You know, he grew up in, in Harlem, and he began to become an evangelist. He began preaching and teaching all over the place. And then he would go and he would go preach at churches, and he would proclaim the gospel. And um, he said one time he went, and um, all the pastors would sit on the roster, and he closed his eyes and prayed, and the pastor was standing in front of the congregation. Deacons began to get up. They'd never heard the gospel. They knew the bylaws of the church. They, I mean, they knew how to set a motion on the floor in a meeting. But they weren't saved. Like, we, we don't, like, and I'm glad that they had the humility to come forward and trust Jesus. But we're not shooting for the goal to have unsaved elders and deacons. Like, that's not what we like. We're not shooting for that. Like, that's not a bullseye. And so we must be careful and we must be clear to make, make sure that we're clear on our understanding of the gospel. But then I like the end of verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 5. He said, the purpose that we didn't submit to them for one moment is so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. I like that. I like that. Because in Paul's mind, he says, every time we stand firm in the gospel and the truth of the nutrition of Scripture, what happens is is we're thinking legacy. Listen, we need to learn how to think legacy. See, when you're 20-something, your your late teens and your early 20s, you're thinking about what you're going to be. So you're not thinking about being something for someone else. But when you become a Christian... It's not for you to just think about what you want to be and what you want to do for the rest of your life, who you want to marry, what you want them to be like, where you want to live, how much money you want to make. Those are legitimate things. But we have, you, you, don't, you shouldn't be waiting until you're 55 to start thinking about legacy. The gospel demands that we think about legacy now. That means that we need to be thinking about the impact of our lives on the young heads. Now, we need to be thinking about the impact of our lives on old heads. Amen. We need to think about what are things, if Jesus Christ doesn't come back, you need to ask yourself this question. If Jesus Christ does not come back, what 
is my life and the community of people that I'm chopping it up with, that I lock up arms with, and our faithfulness, what will that pictorial be in the history books for those who's coming after me? We must think about more than just ourselves. My personal Savior, my stuff, my Bible, my word, my life, my application. It's legitimate, but it's not comprehensive. And so we must begin thinking about more than just ourselves. That means we have to begin giving our lives away sacrificially. That means you've got to be up in the scripts. When you don't spend time in prayer, that impacts others. When you just pray for yourself, that impacts others. The gospel demands that we have a selfless life. So we got to think about time spans. We got to be faithful right now. Tomorrow's not promised. So we got to be faithful. We got to walk in purity. Because it's not just in you spitting, even though we want to spit the gospel, we want to talk about the gospel, we want to develop, but you got to watch your life as well as your doctrine. So there's a need for us to think about legacy. And Paul in this passage says, listen, I knew that if I wasn't faithful, it would impact how you looked at things because you looked up to me. And you got the gospel from me. And so in getting the gospel from me, whatever I do, listen, it trips me out, my son. It trips me out. My son was sitting with me. He's, He's like this. I said, I said, boy, where you get that from? He said, you. <laughs> and I was like, ah, legacy. Legacy. People are watching us. People are watching you whether you like it or not. Whether you're fine or whether you're ugly, they're watching you. <laughs> All of God's children are cute. there's there's an importance for us. So I'm parking here because I want us to get this. Because I want us to get this. I want your soul to absorb legacy. 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 When you look throughout the biblical record, one of the things about even when you go in the Old Testament, the reason why they were concerned about having sons is because they were concerned about legacy. Legacy. Amen. And then he goes forward. As he begins to kind of lay that reality um, out. And he goes forth and he says, in verse 6, he says, and from, uh, and from those who seem influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. He says, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that God that was given to me, They gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Last thing, getting the gospel right, is we must have a unified understanding of the gospel. We must have a unified understanding of the gospel. You see in this section where Paul is, is admitting, he said, yo, they peeped, they, they, like they peeped that I had gotten God's way. And so they began to rea- realize that there, was, that there needed to be unity of content but diversity of context. There needs to be unity of content. Stay, stay with me. But diversity of of context. See, Paul says, listen, they got the gospel from me. Like, and Peter should have known this. Like, I don't know what, like, what's wrong? Like, when you go back over to Acts 10, what was that vision about? So Paul says, I know that they seem to be pillars, but I mean, they peeped that, yo, God was with me. God is with me too. 
And so he says, they noticed and they came to the reality that I was called to the Gentiles. Peter was called to the circumcised, even though the Bible does say in Acts chapter 9, I think about the 21st verse, it says that Jesus said, I have appointed him as an apostle to the Gentiles and to preach it before kings and to Israel. However, he was called to the Gentiles first as a primary ministry because of the apostolic ministry of others. But we must understand that no matter where we preach the gospel, no matter where, whether we're in America, no matter where, whether we're in Yugoslavia, no matter where we're in Papua New Guinea, if we're in Morocco, if we're in uh, the Czech Republic, there needs to be a unity of content. Everybody needs to have the gospel in their particular language. That's called contextualization. Say contextualization. <laughs> contextualization is something that we're going to have a class on. I'm going to talk to you. We're going to talk to you about that. But contextualization is extremely important. Paul says Peter is called to contextualize the gospel to uh, the, the Jews. In other words, the gospel should feel like it can be indigenous to Jewish culture without being impacted in its content. In other words, just because you go to a different cultural group, the language, listen, the language may be different, but they have a right based on God's grace and giving them the rights to be sons of God to have the gospel in their language. Everybody. Everyone. Like whether the church is like, people always say, well, you know, I think we, all churches should be multi-ethnic. I said, well, I, I don't think the Bible teaches that. Um, I mean, if you're in a context with nothing but Iraqis, like, what are you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I mean, I know heaven's going to have it. Like, but if you're in a multi-ethnic context, then some churches in that context should reflect a multi-ethnic milieu. If not, then reach the people that God has placed you there to reach. And so, therefore, contextualization says several things. Um, shape of things to come, and then I'll give you kind of my definition. Then I'm going to talk about stewardship and entrusting. Right? Y'all with me? He says, he says um, Paul and I are equal but different in function. Um, but, but, but check this out, the shape of things, like contextualization, the dynamic process whereby the constant message of the gospel interacts with specific relative human situations. Contextualization, listen, attempts to communicate the gospel in word and deed in ways that make sense to people within their local cultural context. I know some missionaries that went over uh, to Papua New Guinea. I, I don't know if no, it was just New Zealand. They went over there and they had translate. They, I mean, spent years trying to translate the Bible. I mean, years learning the culture, learning the language. Like before they could even preach the gospel to them, they had to learn the language. Once they learned the language, then they they's like, dang, we don't have a word for faith. Like that language doesn't doesn't even have the concept of faith in it. They were and they were like, dang, how do we? Like how, do, like, how do we translate that into their language in this Bible? Matter of fact, how do we preach the gospel and talk about by faith alone? They got a word for alone, but they don't have a word for faith. They have a word for Messiah, but they don't have a word for faith. So, so I mean, so, well, they have a word for grace even, but they don't have a word for faith. Like, how do we, how do we translate this? And so they noticed some fishermen uh, would hold these sticks and the nets with the fish in them, and they would hold them. And they would, and, and they would, and, and a word that they used was a word for support or confidence. In other words, support or to hold up. They said, that's it. Write that down. So when they proclaimed the gospel to them, they were like, oh. And then they start speaking in the language, da, 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 and speaking in the language, bow. <laughs> People start trusting Jesus. People can't trust Jesus if Jesus isn't speaking their language. That seemed crazy. We're not talking about the gospel being changed, like somebody's scared right now. But look, the reason why Christians in America are saved because the gospel is in English. So Peter says, but that doesn't make us better than anyone else. See, this is the point of this. It's Peter is saying, listen, we equal. Like, it's no less. Gentiles aren't less. Jews aren't greater. Gospel save you, gospel save me. Peter even said, stood up in their midst and asked 15. And he was like, yo, man, like, I don't know why y'all new Pharisee cats trying to act like y'all kept the law. Like, you know, all of us were struggling. And aren't we saved by grace through faith? Huh? I don't, I don't hear you, big dog. Yeah. We all saved by grace through faith alone. And so, therefore, 
they must have it in their language. And so there's an importance of that. And that's why he says the gospel has been entrusted to me. This word entrust, in entrusting the gospel, um, there's a sense um, in which this word talks about one who, uh, there was a sense in which the apostles felt like Peter, of course, had an authentic gospel and had the sense of guardianship. Paul had a sense of guardianship. In other words, you'll, t- you'll listen to Paul talking about I was entrusted with the gospel based on the grace given me. Like Romans chapter 12, I think verse 3, talks about according to the grace given to me, entrusting. In other words, when you get the gospel, it's clear, and the gospel is clear. There's a sense of ownership that we must take in protecting that gospel. So that if anyone ever goes against that reality, we must make sure that we're clear on it and that we're entrusted to it. And then there's also the word stewardship. Ephesians 3, 2, uh, 1 Timothy 1, 4, 1 Corinthians 9, 17, Colossians 1, 25, stewardship. So we must be stewards, y'all, of the reality of the gospel of peace. But not only that, not only that, finally... We must keep score like Jesus does. We must keep score like Jesus does. It says, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived grace was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to to do. And him talking about grace and favor, there are levels of grace in the Bible. Everybody gets grace positionally. Everybody. For by grace are you saved through faith. But then there are varying levels of grace based on what God has missionally for you to do. When you try to step out of that realm, there is no grace. You have, you have salvific grace, but you won't have missional grace. That's why you'll have people trying to do something that's out of their biblical sweet spot, and God won't meet them in it. Because ain't no grace for you to do that. There ain't no grace for you to do that. Like some people, like on American Idol, think they can sing. Ah! And I'm like, oh, there ain't no grace, fam. There's no grace for that. That's why I like, I, like, I like my man Simon. He says, go do something else. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Praise God for Simon. Get him to be a Christian and redeem that. Blat out. It'd be, it'd be a beast. But there are varying levels of grace. Even in Romans chapter 12, it talks, it talks about the varying of grace in relation to according to the measure of faith. Romans 12, 3. You'll see even Ezra. In Ezra chapter 5, verse 18 and verse 8, verse 18, he's saying, and the, and the hand of the Lord was upon us. That was the sense of grace. And the Lord was with Joseph in Genesis. In other words, based on the ethic of where God had called him, there was a grace. God met him in it. Now, there are times where God will call us to something, right, and he'll, he'll pull us into something or point us in a particular or, or, or direction, and there will be seasons of affliction. That doesn't mean don't be faithful. There's grace upon you to be afflicted until God gets you to the goal that he's taking you to. Stay with me on that because there's a difference. Every believer has, has, has efficacious grace. Every Christian. Special grace that comes through the revelation of the death, burial, and reason of Jesus Christ to your life. Everybody has that. But everybody don't have assignment grace. And every one of our assignments in the body is different. And because of that, we have to walk there. Somebody's going to ask me, how do I find my assignment? Keep, keep going. God will lead you into your assignment. I'm telling you. But when you begin to fall back. So, so he says, listen, when they perceived that grace was upon me, what, what, how did they perceive that grace was upon them? When he went to a spot, people got saved. People went from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. They had an authentic gospel, authentic lives, and authentic impact. Grace was upon them. God keeps score a certain way. Like, grace is upon us. To keep score like God keeps score. Like, you can't say grace is upon you and you keep a score like the world keeps score. Because God's scoring system is always a particular way. One of the things that he said that that made sure that they did is he says, and they just, he said one thing that they told me. I mean, they didn't add anything to me. He wasn't saying that arrogantly. He says, I mean, I didn't learn anything from them because I was already doing what they were talking about. Matter of fact, later on he's going to say, I kind of passed them in impact. Like, like, like seeing churches planted and developed. 
But one of the things that he says, at the end, he says, they told me to remember the poor. He said, remember the poor. You know, one of the things that is always a barometer for whether or not you're being faithful to the gospel is whether or not the poor are impacted by our ministry. I'm kind of bewildered at some church planting movements who said they will not plant a church in the inner city. I remember I was going before these guys uh, trying to raise some money, and I sat before them. And they said, where y'all going to be located? You know, they had a quarter million dollars. Never forget it. They were like, we, 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 we give a quarter million dollars to church planting. They said, where y'all planting? Where? 17 from what? They said, ah. See, yeah, churches in, 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 in like inner cities don't usually become self-supporting. So, so we're probably not going to be able to partner with you, brother. I said, wow, you forgot about the poor, didn't you? The church planting movements out here, all they do is plant people in the suburbs and growing subdivisions. And I'm not against that. I'm not against it. But I think the poor of America have been forgotten. In Detroit, in Philly, in Atlanta. And everybody wants to plant. Everybody's called to where money is. Man, I'm going to this growing subdivision, brother. And oh, why, is all, why is it always? Like, I understand that it's growing and all of that. And we need to get the gospel among those new people. But I'm always, inter- like, most of the guys that I meet in church planting aren't called to the poor. When the Bible says, don't forget about them. And as and, and one of the barometers we're going to do, we're going to see we want to see redemption in this community. The impact of the gospel. So this is going to be a little bit of a little bit more rigorous church plant. And, and some of you may say, I don't want to be a part of that. Because that because that means that we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and do more than bus in from the suburbs. We value people moving to the city. We value people coming in and and getting on the train sometimes. (laughs) We we value people. We we value seeking the peace of the city. That's the centrality of the. That's the gospel. When you look at Acts, many of the churches were poor. See, people underestimate the poor, but Macedonia was the poorest church in the Providence. And they were sending money. They were eager. They were like, take our money, please, and relieve the brothers in Jerusalem. When you go line by line, you got to preach everything. We don't want to be a ministry that's all. They want, I, I, we want, I'm not, we're not trying to get anybody here to try to be poor. Like, we're not preaching a gospel, a, a, a poverty gospel. Like, that's not what we're talking about. All right, man, I guess guess I got to move into an abandoned building now. And, you know what I'm saying? Uh, man. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But we're not going to punk out here. We're going to hit these neighborhoods and love on people. And we want to we want, we wanna give our children in marriage, see them get married, equally yoked marriages. Amen. And see them see the city as a systemic place for impact. The suburbs of Philadelphia will never be impacted unless Philadelphia is impacted. And what's in Philadelphia? We're going to focus on Camden. We want to plant a church at Camden. We want to see churches planted in Westchester. The boroughs of NY. Boston. We want to see that in, in Baltimore. And not just where it's thriving. But where is depressed? Because we are eager, just like Paul, to not forget the poor. We're eager. We're eager. We know it's ministerial suicide. But the grace has been given to us. I I believe God's hand is heavy on the people here on 17th and Diamond. Heavy for a specific task. I believe God has put us in our sweet spot. Not just two guys. The whole, the whole group of us. This is our sweet spot. The question is, are we going to be faithful? And are we going to make the most of it? And are we going to protect the gospel and be faithful to it? 
Are we going to be clear on the gospel? How many of you last week did what I asked you to do? Did you do your conversion report? Write out your conversion? What it was like when you were lost? What it was like when you got converted, whether it was process or event? And what changes happened based on that, the, 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 the A.D. days, based on the gospel? If you haven't done that, do that. Because we don't want people coming here liking stuff. We want you to be saved. We want you to be a disciple. And we're going to love you. We're going to love on you. We're going to continue to love on you. But maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. Maybe you're here today and I'm speaking in an alien tongue because you don't have the spirit. Well, Christ, when you trust Christ, you get the spirit. He gives you understanding. But first you've got to recognize that there's a gap between you and God. That only the cross of Jesus Christ, Christ's death on the cross, will close the gap between you and God. If that's you, there's some cards in the back. We want you to fill them out. Matter of fact, you got saved. Um, I want um, somebody, I want you all to put a, a, a deal at the back too. A, 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 like a blank sheet of paper. Because I, I want to make sure that we're connecting with people. Because some of you have trusted Christ. Y'all just come up to us and y'all didn't fill out a card. We want you to put your name on. If you've trusted Jesus and haven't been connected with yet, we want to we talk to you. Okay? But if you trusted Jesus Christ, you want to place your confidence in Jesus Christ. Fill out that card. We want to get in contact with you. We want to love on you and watch you. Be a part of your life to see you ushered from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Thanks so many of you in here who started making disciples already. There's so many of you who have taken new believers under your wing already without a program. So we thank God for that. Don't forget, if you want to trust Christ, you put your confidence in Christ, Christ alone, fill out a card. We want to get in contact with you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the richness of the gospel. Lord God, we want to be faithful. We want to be faithful because we want to get the gospel right. May we, may we see...